You're coming to Crosspoint at, at an unusual Sunday. I'm not sure I've ever done this. Um, I'm going off script. In football terms, I'm calling an audible regarding what I had intended to teach you. And the reasons are pretty obvious. They've, they've filled up the airwaves all week long. It's gotten so heartbreaking and, and so difficult for me personally because of some relationships I have, all kinds of different people, very, very different parts in our, in our society, that I've largely stopped watching the news. But it's been a tough, tough, bloody, brutal week in America. In simple terms, lawlessness is overtaking our culture. There's really no other way to put it. It feels like we're about half a degree under the boiling point. In Dallas, Texas, of all places, terrible crimes were committed. It's not surprising. For years and years and years and years, in increasing numbers, we've cast off restraint. We've made no room for God. Rather than make room for Him, we've proudly disregarded Him. We've denied His very existence. In some corners of our culture, cultures that are the darkest and the most lost, God Himself, the Creator of life, the Creator of order, the one who brought harmony and beauty into our world, who made everything we know, we've blamed Him for the worst evils that we see on our TV screens. So I'm calling an audible. It's an unusual Sunday for that reason. I'm almost speaking extemporaneously. It's also different because I'm breaking one of my own preaching rules. The way I was taught to preach, and I believe that it's the best way that I've yet found, I take a single passage and I try to explain to you what its single idea is. That makes it easy for me and it makes it easy on you because I give you one idea at a time. That's the idea anyway. That's the point. Not today. The topic is just too big to get my hands around. And the beauty of a church, at least a church like ours is, I love our diversity. We come from all walks of life, from very different places. In both services today, in the same rows will sit people who were lawbreakers, once prisoners. Some of them won't sit too far from a jailer or a law enforcement officer. There are also people in our congregation who have been victims of crime, victims of violence, victims of gun violence and deadly, horrible shootings. I haven't heard all your stories, but I've heard enough stories to know that some of you have suffered great mistreatment. You've been subjected to racism by ordinary, everyday people and also sometimes by people in authority over you. Well, how could I possibly get my arms around all of that all at one time? I can't. 
But I do want to show you two different passages that tell us, at least, those of us who believe in Jesus, how we should live in a nation that it's ripping itself apart. That's what it feels like to me, at least. Have you felt that this week? Like we're a step or two away from anarchy. It continued last night. There was, there was violence directed everywhere across the country against ordinary people and also against law enforcement officers just last night while most of us slept. What do we do? Where do we turn? The good news is the Bible was not written in an ivory tower by a social theorist with ideas that wouldn't work. It was written right in the heat of persecution and difficulty and mistreatment and injustice itself. Paul had really changed his role. He was once at the top of the social spectrum. Now he finds himself at the bottom. He wrote a long, beautiful epistle packed with truth about God and Jesus to churches in the city of Rome, and I want you to see what he wrote in Romans chapter 13. The passage I'm going to read right now will arouse for some of you immediate questions and objections. You'll ask yourself questions like this, well, how does this work in this specific situation? It's unlikely that I'll be able, well, it's impossible that I'll be able to address all the questions that this passage may bring up. But I want to tell you that Paul is writing not from a safe scholarly perspective, but from the heat and pain of real life telling citizens in a pagan empire that had no room for the one true God, barely tolerated Christianity, how they were supposed to behave. He's going to speak in absolute terms. In these absolute terms, of course, if we read other parts of Scripture, which I don't have time to address, we'll find further teaching that qualifies this and points out the limit of what Paul intended. But before you come to your objection or your question, may I invite you to do something that is both comforting and challenging and let this passage speak for itself because it's written in very clear language. I'm telling you this primarily so that you'll invite it into your own life, that it'll challenge you or correct you or comfort you or encourage you according to your need, and perhaps more importantly, that those of you who are parents and grandparents or have a role of influence in a child's life anywhere will take it and weave it into their lives. Because in Romans 13, Paul is going to talk about an unpopular topic. He's going to talk about authority. Now, please don't answer. But when I say the word authority, how does that hit you in your heart? How do you feel? For a lot of us, our immediate reaction to the very word authority is to, as they say in the South, bow up. Authority. Somebody in charge of me? <laughs> That's the root of the problem. We've created a culture where every man is king and every woman is queen. And now, with all restraint removed and with no one entitled to say what is right and what is wrong, 
were about to disintegrate into a haze of violence and chaos. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. This passage tells me that living under civil authority, living under law and order, and I'm not using that in the cliché TV way, but literally having laws and literally having order in society is not our invention. It emanates from the very heart and mind of God. Sin wrecked the world and everyone in it, authorities included. And until God Himself rules and He is welcomed as the one true King, in this disordered world, God knows that the best plan for us is for there to be rule, order, and respect. You see, it's respect that is so, that is so sorely lacking in our culture now. I could give you a thousand examples, but you probably just have to walk for about half a mile in our town to see that what once was a culture of some measure of respect is now a, measure, a culture of contempt and anger and animosity, of anarchy. We're a culture filled with so many differences and so many contradictions. Perhaps the one that moved my heart the most was the story this week of Chief David Brown in Dallas. I know very, very, very little about police work, but according to report, reading I've done, Dallas led the way in a lot of very good programs, community-basing, community policing programs that really drew officers closer to citizens and greatly improved the quality of life in Dallas. Chief Brown knew better than most that that was needed. He grew up in South Dallas. And as a young kid, he saw two things. He saw crack cocaine destroying his neighborhood, and he also saw that when the police got involved with most of his friends, trouble was sure to follow. I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, we learned to stay away from the police, because if you got the police, you got problems. But Brown decided to be part of the solution rather than complain about the problem, and after he became an officer in the city he grew up in, his life was engulfed in so much tragedy that he sort of embodies all the American contradictions and needs in his single solitary life. A few years after he became a police officer, a former partner of his was killed in the line of duty. His younger brother was killed by drug dealers in Phoenix. And shortly after Brown became police chief, his own son on Father's Day killed a young father, the officer that responded to the call. And when other officers arrived, they killed the chief's son in defense of their own lives. After all that happened, he said, my family has not only lost a son, but a fellow police officer. And a private citizen lost their lives at the hands of our son. 
this hurts so deeply, I cannot completely express the sadness I feel inside my heart. I can well imagine. You should pray for him. On top of all that lifelong pain, he now presides over a department that is sure to be shaken to its very core. In one man, we find so many problems represented in his story. Romans 13 gives us some light on how at least those of us who believe in Jesus should respond and react. We should be, it says in verse 1, subject to the governing authorities, not for this reason, not because they're always right, but because, according to verse 1, they were placed there by God. Those that exist have been instituted by God, and whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. He gets very practical. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Does it seem to you that he really downgraded his uh, subject matter? He didn't. He is saying that submission to the authorities that God has established works its way out in very ordinary ways. And let me tell you how radical this passage is. When Paul is writing a Roman ruler named Nero sits on the throne of the Roman Empire, persecution has not yet engulfed all Christians. But Paul is giving them instructions that if obeyed are going to lead Christians to fund their own persecution. In other words, a simple reading of this straightforward passage which tells you God's design for rulers and God's design for citizens, for those in authority to do so with justice, to reward what is good and punish what is bad, is going to take the grace of Jesus if we're all going to obey it, both rulers and both those in authority and those who receive their instructions. Folks, we cannot, we cannot legislate, punish, or think our way out of the trouble we're in as a country. When I was in seminary, the assistant chief of police at the time, Bob Vernon, came and spoke to us. The Soviet Union had collapsed, and Vernon was no longer working for LAPD, so he was going over into the former Soviet Union to help them with police work. He explained to us something that I'll never forget. He said, what keeps a civilized society civil, my words, not his, what makes life orderly is the balance between the morality and the good in the hearts of people and the willingness of authority to punish it when they're not good. So when morality disappears, punishment must increase. And this is the part I never forgot. He was over there to consult be a consultant to the Moscow chief of police who said to him something like this, we're amazed at what you're doing in America. 
We see your prisons getting bigger. We see you building supermax prisons and longer and longer sentences. Don't you understand where you're going is where we just came from, and it doesn't work. Romans 13 is written in the face of the reality of evil. All this bloodshed confronts us with one true fact. There is a moral, holy God who desires people to live righteously, who delegates by His design righteousness to flow down from those in charge into the lives of ordinary citizens. And the hopelessness that so many of your people are feeling is, it seems, that at every level of our society, including sometimes those in authority, there's lawlessness and disregard for what is right. Let's keep reading. Paul says, verse 5, Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. That's our mandate, to live righteously, to put it in simple terms, the best citizens in any city, in any country should be those who name Jesus. Simple as that. And we need to do something else, and this will take me to our second passage. Would you look with me, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 2? Verse 1, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Paul says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Let me be perfectly practical. If obedience to these two verses is not on your prayer list, please make that change today. Along this passage tells me with my prayers for my work, my wife, my kids, my income, my health, and the, everything that's going on in the people of the lives, and the lives of the people that I love, this passage says, because I recognize the morality and the rule of God delegated into the human institutions that are over me, part of following Jesus is to consciously pray for all of those layers above me. You ever think about how many people are in charge of you? How many people you answer to? There's quite a few. And Paul says you should pray for them. And again, listen to the radical nature of that passage, understanding that at this point it's much later in Paul's life. These are the very authorities that have beaten him mercilessly and sent him to jail unjustly and are eventually going to kill him. What is the Christian response? Pray for them still. Because if we don't have them, we won't have peace, quiet, and a godly and dignified life. Can I be really practical since there's so much 
careless, hateful thinking? Can you imagine if all authority was removed in our city tomorrow? All of it. What if everyone who had a duty to serve, whether they carried a badge or not, what if everyone who had a duty to serve and instruct and care for others and be in charge of others said, tomorrow, we're done? Do we imagine that society would be better for it? No. Listen, wherever you are in this equation, whether you have once been mistreated or you've seen corruption up close, and you've seen the evil that people do as a part of law enforcement and the authority system. Understand, God is deeply concerned, deeply invested in what happens in our day-to-day lives. That's why Paul says you must understand that you are a person in subjection to authorities. What that means is you obey them whenever it's possible. Your disposition is to cooperate with the authorities that God has established. Now, you'll say, doesn't that have limits? Absolutely it does. There was a time in Germany where many civic authorities, including most of the clergy, unfortunately, followed blindly with civic obedience Hitler straight into a holocaust. I don't have time to deal with the possible exceptions, but that is clearly one. When those in authority require you to disobey God… Then you must say with the apostles, we choose to obey God rather than man. But thank God to this point, restraint, control, righteousness, responsibility, heroism has not been thrown off, not nearly close enough to require us to disobey God. We should cherish that. We should honor that we still have this much peace, that we still have this much quiet, that we still have this much dignity, that we are still allowed to live in a godly way, and we should pray for those in charge. And here's why. Notice the turn in Paul's thinking. Verse 3, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul says the point of praying over those in authority, the point of praying upward, back up the scale of power, is so that they will rule as God wants them to, that their own hearts will not be corrupted that they will not succumb to the tremendous pressures they're under, that they will not seek their own good, but truly they will see themselves as empowered, highly trusted, powerful servants of the citizens under their care. And they will rule in such a way that we can have peace and we can have dignity and we will be free to lead godly lives because that's what God wants. How much does God want all of those people at every level, lawbreakers and law enforcers, to be saved? He gave His Son a ransom for all kinds of people. And that's our hope. What should we do? We should be the very best citizens the very best citizens this city, this town, this state, this country could ever have. You should walk out into this beautiful day that we enjoy together 
seeking the wisdom of Jesus because Jesus alone had the exact wisdom to know when to deal with justice and when to deal with compassion. Jesus alone was incorruptible and always dealt with righteousness and equity. Those in charge can't always get it right altogether. When they get it wrong, terrible things will happen in our society. If they grow discouraged and walk away, or worse, they become corrupted, we really will see trouble. I love Mexico. It's really my country away from America. It's where I spent until recently, past the tipping point. For a long time, I could say I spent most of my life in Mexico. I've been telling friends recently this, the way we're going reminds me of the horrible, open corruption of Mexico in the 1980s, when we're not even pretending anymore that things are being done right that truly there is no law and there is no one to come to help when the law is broken because everybody is so beaten down, so afraid, in so much danger. We don't want that. We should be brilliant citizens. We should follow Jesus into the day that we have today and that He'll grant us tomorrow, Lord willing, saying, Lord, I will encounter all kinds of people. Some people are lawbreakers and disordering our society because they don't know you. Make me courageous. Make me loving to speak truth to the only one who can save them because we can't punish our way to righteousness. We just can't. It won't change anyone. At best, it's a break, it's a temporary stop. What will truly change a man, a woman, who is deeply committed to lawlessness is a personal encounter with Jesus, the ransom, the covering for his sin. We should be brilliant citizens. We should add to the top of our list, not to the bottom, not if a political hot button is touching me and angering me because of things I'm seeing on the internet. It should be at the top of my list to pray for those in authority. To pray for those who bear the sword. To pray for those who rule, who write the laws. To pray for those judges who interpret them, who have so much power to change our lives in a moment. They should be at the top of my prayer list because the core conviction of 1 Timothy chapter 2 is that only the gospel of Jesus, only Jesus will save us. My prayer in all of this hopelessness and anger that America is experiencing, that you'll check your heart and see what's happened to you this week. I've felt my own pulled in ugly directions to return hate for hate and contempt for contempt, to characterize one whole group on either side of the law enforcement equation. Jesus does not do that. He dies for individuals. He loves individuals. He deals with individuals. I need, you need His wisdom. We need together a deep repentance of our own contribution to the mess we're in. And what's more important, a deep belief that we can't argue, legislate, navigate, or think our way into a better life apart from the Savior, Jesus Christ. He's at the center. My sincere invitation to you, wherever this has hit you, is that you'll turn to Jesus. 
that you'll give up on all other human cleverness. That you'll do as Paul did. Paul used the legal system to the very best of his advantage. He avoided jail and beating whenever he could. But when the system became so unjust, he suffered gladly for the sake of the gospel so that the Savior could keep being lifted up. He went unafraid into bad situations, even when the very systems that God had ordained to be righteous had been corrupted and turned against him. He kept his allegiance with the Lord and his trust in him. And Paul followed Jesus faithfully into freedom and relative comfort, all the way into prison, all the way into death. We're not there yet. There is still so much time, and God is so good and so gracious to revive the hearts of a nation, but it won't start out there when whatever that group that you have trouble with changes their ways. Paul says it starts with us. It starts with the house of God. It starts with the people who know the one who gives eternal life so that we'll walk out there and behave as such brilliant, countercultural, hopeful, beautiful, righteous, just, compassionate, merciful examples. Whatever the situation requires, whoever you're dealing with on whichever side of the equation, that you will represent the truth and the beauty and the justice and the mercy of Jesus to that person in such a way that someone will be saved. When that happens in sufficient numbers, we'll see lives transformed that no matter of no matter and no measure of human teaching or counseling or punishment or enforcement could ever, ever transform. Let's put our hope in Jesus and do as He asks us to do. Let's pray. Could I give you a moment to do exactly what we've been talking about and pray for those in authority? Tomorrow, politicians will convene. Law enforcement officers will put on uniforms knowing that they draw hate. Teachers and counselors will stand at the crossroads between human wisdom and finally saying what so many civic leaders have been saying this week, we don't know what to do, we don't know how to change this. Would you pray that that bankruptcy in their statements, their complete failure of ideas would lead them to humble themselves before God and say, we can't figure this out, we're sorry, and ask for His light to shine in their lives? All kinds of authorities that God has established in your life, including parents, kids, will get up tomorrow with a great deal of pressure on their shoulders. Moms will face the pressure of being an authority in the home of the little kids she's raising. Police officers will put on body armor, hoping that it'll never need to be used. There's all layers of authority over us. Would you take a moment humbly, if your heart has pushed back against authority, if you've been your own little king or queen, would you say, God, I'm submitting to the authorities you've placed in my life because I love and I submit to you, and I pray for them, moms and dads, cops and judges and jailers, politicians, that they would do what is right, that you would bring them back to yourself. So much to pray for and such a desperate need for God to change us.
beginning in our living rooms, all the way through our society from the inside out. Lord, that's what I've just been saying. That's my heart. That's my prayer for all of those who are in authority. Give them wisdom. Give them righteousness. For many, Lord, bring repentance. God, I pray for safety and peace and protection for those who bear the modern-day sword. Work, Lord, in communities that are bankrupt, whether they have a lot of money or they're completely broke financially, they're bankrupt spiritually. Would the grace of Jesus shine in them? And if there's anyone here, Lord, who's been hearing the gospel and hearing it and hearing it and hearing it, but never humbling themselves, would you make this the time to draw them so that they would be saved? Lord, forgive us. There's so much, so much corruption, so much wrongdoing, so much lawlessness, so much blood. Forgive us, Lord. Revive us again. Do not forsake the good work you've done here. And whatever else you do in the lives of others, let those of us here at Crosspoint who love and know Jesus follow him humbly and boldly into a broken world that desperately needs him. That's always true. We feel it more today. So have mercy, Jesus, I pray. Amen.